I love that feeling of getting out of the water and at seven in the morning and you've already been in for an hour, hour and a half. And like, you feel so ahead of the day. Like you feel like you're in a proactive state of mind. Welcome to Nature Junkie Radio. This is a place for us to explore the wisdom, wonder, and ways of nature connection to help replenish your stoke. I'm your host, Jeff Johnson, and I hope you enjoy the ride. Hello there, good people, welcome. Water photography has been a deep passion of mine for the last decade which is why I'm stoked to share that we have one of the greats on the show today, San Diego's Todd Glazer. Todd was a staff photographer at Surfer Magazine for over a decade where he landed more than a dozen covers. When Kelly Slater and Rob Machado want to make images, they give Todd a call. As an artist, he has amazing range shooting a wide variety of people and lifestyles in water and on land. His work has appeared in the New York Times, Outside, Men's Health, GQ, and the Smithsonian's National Portrait Gallery, in addition to commercial clients like La Mer, HBO, Adobe, and many more. Todd is not only one of the world's best water photogs, he's a rabid nature junkie, a morning frother, and a damn fine human. We had so much fun geeking out on nature and photography that we have a two-part episode for you. If you're trying to choose between the two, don't. Listen to both. They're packed with nature junkie wisdom. In part one, we learn about Todd's early nature exploits, how he thinks about and approaches his craft of photography, his creative influences, and we understand the importance of the early morning hours in Todd's life. And yes, we geek out a little bit on photo gear and settings as a snack for all the photo hounds out there. In part two, We explore the making of the legendary book and film Proximity. Todd shares his insights about how what he does in the ocean translates back to life on land. He opens up about the challenges of navigating social media in this largely post-print world. And of course, we learn how Todd microdoses nature. Let's drop in. Todd, welcome to Nature Junkie Radio. Thank you. Thank you for having me, Jeff. Stoked to be here. Yeah, it's an honor. I um, I was saying before, you're the first photographer and first water photographer on the show. So as much as that means to me, it's a great honor to have you here. And uh, it means a lot. So thanks for making time. Oh, yeah. No, thank you. I'm, I'm a big fan of the show. And hopefully um, I don't uh, leave a lasting impression where you don't want to have other photographers on. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure that will not be the case. I would love to go deep into water photography, but Before we dive in, I think it'd be helpful, especially for people that aren't as tightly wed to water photography as we are immersed in it. Can you just describe water photography and kind of set the table for people and bring the experience to life a little bit? What what are you doing? Yeah. So so water photography, I guess in the simplest form would be taking, taking a camera that was built to go on land and using either custom-made water housing or now there's manufacturers that make water housing specific to each camera that you put the camera in this waterproof case and if the water's warm, you wear a swimsuit and a pair of fins and if the water's cold, you wear the warmest suit you can and you dive into the ocean and use the camera to document or create a story that's inspiring to you. 
I grew up in San Diego and I loved surfing as a little kid and going to the beach with my family and going to the beach with my friends. And when I was 15, a friend of mine had a camera and we would take turns taking photos of each other. And so that's kind of how I got introduced to it. But really, it's, uh, the camera is um, it's kind of like my way to communicate what I see in the ocean and hopefully inspire others to try and go, go in and go, go play in the ocean. Awesome. Let's expand it a little further. So a lot of people may not understand this. So, you know, a camera in a water housing is, I don't know, I'm going to call it five to seven pounds, something in that neighborhood. So that's in one hand <laughs> and you're swimming with the other and you're often in waves of consequence, which are trying to like jujitsu you. Yeah. <laughs> uh, if you're, and then you're, if you're shooting surfing, obviously you have a surfer coming at you and you're trying to get as close as possible, oftentimes. And they have sharp fins. And if you're in deeper water, you might be thinking about creatures, also known as sharks below sometimes. <laughs> or if it's shallow, you might be thinking about the reef. So in a lot of ways, it's really complicated swimming and you're trying to create an awesome image at the same time. So I just wanted to highlight the complexity of it a little bit too. <laughs> yeah, it, it's kind of like it's this quasi imbalanced asymmetrical form of swimming where depending on the camera and depending on the setup you have, you have this one very heavy thing in one arm and then you have this like, you know, your opposite arm. I'm right-handed, so I use the I have the camera in my right arm. Then you're doing this like weird chicken wing paddle <laughs> to try to get out of the way and you have swim pins on your feet that you're using to try to propel you not only to like get out of the way of surfers, get out of the way of certain waves, but also to get in the right spot to capture the photo that you're hoping to carry. So it's when it comes to like photographing, you know, surfers or athletes or, or people in the water, for me, it kind of starts way before you even get into the water. I, if, if I'm going to do a surf shoot, I'm immediately looking at swells and I'm trying to track swells to see how big the waves might be, where the waves might be the best. It's kind of like a, like a poor man's meteorologist. And then... Can I pause it? Can I jump yeah. in there? I, I don't know why, but I'm thinking of the comparison to say like a sports photographer that might shoot ba NBA basketball. It's like they know where the game is <laughs> for you. You don't know where the game's going to be. You're trying to figure out where it's going to be yeah. for the next morning or the next week or whatever. Right? Totally. Yeah. And, and unlike any other sports photography, like you can never show up to a football stadium. The field's not going to be there. Right. So, so much about what we do is trying to identify where the game's going to be, so to speak, like where the waves are going to be the best, where the light's going to be the best. A lot of the times you're dealing with athletes that don't necessarily want to wake up early. And us photographers, we're always trying to wake up early. So it's this constant battle between them getting their sleep and us trying to get our light, which can be a constant battle, especially in a place like California, where our, our early mornings are very short-lived and they can be cold in the wintertime. But I think that's all part of the excitement of it when you do capture a great image or when you do capture an image that is like thought-provoking or exciting and you know hopefully inspiring of other people but yeah it's this weird game of like looking at weather storms trying to figure out where the reef or where the sandbars might be and then to go a step further is i'm always trying to talk with the guys and girls i shoot with and, and communicate ahead of time like you know hey i think the waves are going to be like this what do you think in the riding and so I know that if I'm shooting someone and they're on a 5.11 and we're trying to make tube photos, it's more than likely going to be a little bit of a later drop. There's a higher chance of there being spray in their face, even though that might be the perfect board for 
for that day for, let's say, a video clip, I'm more concerned about making a beautiful image. So I might suggest, hey, why don't you ride a board with a little bit more foam? You can get in the wave earlier. It'll be cleaner. There won't be any spray. And like, you know, all I need is 45 minutes. You know, if the sun hits the water at seven, we'll be in the water from 6.45 to 7.30. And then after that, you can go do whatever you want to do. But I don't know if it's like a control thing or I think it's, I think what's kept me going is is a collaborative process. I feel like a lot of photographers, especially with pro surfers, they will say, oh, you're a pro. You just, you do you, I'm going to do me. And and then we'll see what what comes out together. And I've always really loved to kind of discuss what type of images that, that we could potentially get and then let nature run its course and let nature kind of see if it provides a wave or if we don't get anything. Like we had a session this winter that was absolutely gorgeous in San Diego. I was shooting with Rob Machado. We went down the beach. It was howling offshore in the afternoon, which is very rare. The sun was out. He piled out, rode one wave and sat in the water for two hours without catching another wave until the sun went down and it went totally flat. And it, to me, it was such an opportunity to capture an image that was so special with such unique lighting situation, with such a unique wind situation in San Diego. And we didn't have the opportunity. It's almost like a snowboarder who goes into the backcountry and builds a jump, and then it, it's foggy for a week. And by the time they go back to the jump, the jumps disappeared because it snowed. And so, yeah, there, there's certainly, you, you can try to give yourself the best opportunity to catch the best waves and to, to make document the best moments. But a lot of it is just a persistence and, and being prepared for when it might happen. Yeah. I want to hit on a couple, or just respond to a couple of things you said, but then also go where you were naturally going, which is why do it? What are the benefits? We'll, we'll get there in a moment. But it's interesting to hear you talk about the, you know, even saying to the surfer that you're working with, like, hey, maybe think about a different board in that collaboration instead of like you said, hey, you do your thing, I'll do mine. I think that I, I got to give you credit because it really shows up in your photos. There's an intimacy there that I don't see in other photographs of surfers. That it's what to me that's one of the actually like hallmarks of your work, at least from my perspective, is that intimacy. And I think part of that comes from your background too, spending so much time in the water and you surf and there's that dance there. So anyway, just want to give you that compliment because it's it comes through. Thank you very much. Yeah, and I I guess I hope I don't sound like I'm like controlling. <laughs> I mean, let, hey, let, ride let, this board. <laughs> totally, I, I, I've certainly been known to make suggestions, and I've certainly been known. To be told off too. So, yeah. But I, I think, you know, anytime we shoot photos, we, the first thing I always put in the forefront of my mind is safety is we want to maximize the safety of the subject. And whether we're shooting a commercial and we're photographing a model or filming a model that isn't super comfortable in the water, we'll make sure we have the best water safety team there. If we're photographing you know, Kelly Slater in Fiji, I'll ask, hey, what board are you going to ride? And he's usually pretty set on what he's going to ride. And But by being able to judge the size of the wave and know what board he's going to ride, I can then kind of run the, the information in my head. You go, okay, he's going to ride a smaller board. Better chance of him to like kick up a little bit spray. If he airdrops, I'm going to be a little bit further down the line, but he's going to be a lot more maneuverable in the tube. Yeah. Versus if you ride a slightly larger board, glide into it, he's going to be going faster. Yeah. So I have to position myself slightly differently. And yeah. so... It's those subtle nuances of understanding your subject and understanding the ocean and understanding the equipment that they're on, as well as recognizing what your abilities are yeah. and how fast you can swim or slow you, you swim and, yeah. and what lens you might be using to try to connect. And we certainly miss a lot of images. You try not to. I, I think I have an okay history of not missing too much, but I think by 
being actively involved in those conversations, yeah. the subjects feel more engaged and they feel like they're not just there. They, they feel like, I, at least this is, my, this is my point of view, is when we make an image together, they feel like they contributed to the making of the image. And there's other times if you're shooting on on land and they're in a contest, it doesn't matter what you're right, doing. Yeah. It's just don't get it out of focus and keep yeah. the horizon straight. <laughs> but if you're on a, a trip and if you're trying to make something together, it's I like that collaborative process. And I think the subjects do too, because if you look at like cinema, you know, even the greatest actors of are nudged in a certain direction by a director. I've been fortunate to work with some fantastic directors that can kind of suggest certain things that will then translate to the film to come out a certain way. Yeah. Chance favors the prepared, I think is a quote. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> comes to mind. Well, I want to go next to, I'm tempted to actually I'll say one thing and then we'll move on. Since you mentioned Rob, I was thinking, looking at some of the images, you work with Rob a lot and, and working with a surfer like Rob, who has such an iconic style. It, it, to me, it just took it to like, even just a couple of weeks ago, he was goofing around on some kind of mid-length board at tabletops and it wasn't even very good, but it was in the, the, the sun had already set and it was like, well, it was starting to get dark, but he just has such an iconic style and the waves were crap, but it, it didn't take much, just kind of at a glance out of my eye I went, oh, that's Rob. And damn, his style is so iconic, but it like, kind of lends to silhouettes for him too. You, or, or maybe said another way, his style is so iconic. If you actually get the right conditions that come together, it just makes the whole thing pop to a whole new level. I don't know if you feel that way. I do. And what's so cool about Rob, and I think certainly in California, he and I probably have the biggest collection of images together, at least from, from my California catalog, it, it, it's of Rob. And the wonderful thing about Rob is that he's a great photographer. And so when we go to, we surf together way more than we shoot photos together. But when we go to shoot photos together, we know it's kind of a special thing. And he's, he's an active participant. We'll go to the beach and have three boards. I'll have a twin fin, a single fin, and, you know, a thruster. And he'll be like, what do you think about this? And we'll, we'll talk about it. We'll be like, what board do you think is going to look good? Like, what, what are you in the mood to do? Do you just feel like riding a big board and going straight? Do you feel like ripping? Like, do you have a piece of wood that you're going to go stand on? And like, <laughs> we've tried it all. Like there was a phase he was riding Elias and he was super into these, these wooden polonia boards, Elias. And I was like, well, if you're having fun with that, I'm going to swim out. And I swam out with a Holga, which is like a plastic toy camera in a, in a plastic bag. And I just cut a little hole in front of the lens and put a rubber band over the front of it and shot a roll of film out, out at Seaside with him riding Elias. It was like no other intention than why not? And I think that attitude is what, what's also kind of kept it fun over the years, especially with digital. Digital's made things a lot easier yeah. to make a nice image, certainly more accessible. And so I think it's fun to challenge yourself and keep it exciting, keep it inspiring. It's yeah. like if you're a surfer and the only board you ever rode was a thruster, at times it would become pretty mundane if the conditions weren't, weren't right for it. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, I feel that. Hey everyone, just a quick note to let you know about the Nature Junkie newsletter. It's a free, short email where I share some wisdom, wonder, and ways of nature connection to help replenish your stoke a couple times per month. To sign up, just head over to naturejunkielife.com or click the link in the show notes underneath the episode. Okay, back into our conversation. I want to throw it back a little bit to childhood. So 
you're clearly a nature junkie, very ocean-based one. What does it take to make an ocean-based nature junkie? When did nature first kind of come into your view in a way that struck you with wonder and you realized, ooh, okay, there's something pretty magical going on here? I think I always just loved going to the beach. Like growing up, I was really small and I was like pretty bad at baseball. I was pretty bad at soccer, even though I love soccer, but I like definitely wasn't the fastest, <laughs> definitely wasn't the tallest. And um, surfing isn't a team sport. And I like, I hated spending my Saturdays like sitting in the dugout or like sitting on the sideline watching your friends play soccer. Mm. I don't know if it was just like be not being on the right teams or whatever, but you could go to the beach, you could be in the water all day and no one could tell you when to come out unless it was your parents mm. like screaming at you. <laughs> but there wasn't like a coach saying like, okay, you had your three minutes of playtime. Like now you got to sit on the bench and eat like orange wedges. <laughs> and like, I love a good orange wedge, but the ocean, you, I'd just be in the water all day and no one could really tell you otherwise. Yeah. And I think that's what really attracted mm. me to surfing and to the water was that you could just do it as for as, as long or as little as you wanted. So it was a sense of freedom then. Yeah. Yeah. And then there's something too, there's something like very therapeutic about when you're in the ocean, for me, like I've seen it in the desert, but I haven't really like felt it the way that other people explain it to me mm. as they experience it in the desert. But in the ocean, like if you're in California and you're looking west, you don't see, it's just vast. And it kind of makes you wonder what's out there. And it's, you, it's like, I don't know if you're like a bit of a dreamer or just, it's just, you're always kind of looking out to see what could potentially be coming in. Yeah. Whereas at times it's it's hard to get excited to go play soccer knowing that the field's always going to be there. Yeah. That, that there's there's not an X factor. Yeah, the X factor, that's key. It sounds common too to, to what's now pretty well understood is the experience of awe. I mean, we say awesome a lot as <laughs> yeah. ocean people, but there's actually a lot of science behind it. And part of what it, what's happening is that we experience something far greater than ourselves that forces us to then have to kind of renegotiate like, well, wait, what is that? It sort of reframes how we think about things, you know, because it's so vast, it sort of forces you to. That's what's happening there. So it sounds like you were having that. Let's go to how it feels to do water photography that sort of benefits you get out of it. I mean that on the, like all the feelings from nature or what, whatever you, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but what do you, I know from your uh, Instagram feed and some great stories you've told there, you love mornings and that whole pre-dawn experience, but can you bring to life, try to bring to life, like or explain the feelings that you get from water photography. And I kind of, I mean that explicitly like pre, during and post. Yeah. Um, it's funny. I was talking to my wife about this earlier today and I'm kind of in that weird transition phase where I was heavily dedicated to surf photography for, for many, many years. Like I first started making photos when I was 15 and I'm 38 now and spent a good probably 15 years of my life on the road, probably gone more than I was at home. And it was all about photography. It was all about chasing waves. And and I think that that passion for adventure and that passion for travel and, and exploring and finding new waves can become a little bit obsessive. And A little bit. And it's exciting. And when you're doing it and when you're surrounded by people who are continuing to do it or people that do it all the time, you almost start comparing yourself. You're like, well, I was only gone 200 days this year and they were gone 300 days. So like, I'm kind of scaling back a little bit, but then you talk to anyone else that, that works a regular job and they're like, you were gone 200 days. <laughs> and you try to explain to them what that really looks like. It's like you're having lunch and then the phone rings and that 
you know, that blob that you were looking at that was once red in the South Pacific turned purple, meaning that the storm intensified and it's going to be a larger swell. That means that you're on the 1150 flight to the South Pacific and it seems totally normal and you're surrounded by people who are living that same, kind of like that same life. And it turned into a career, which is pretty wild to think about. But what is like the morning routine to me? For me, it's kind of the same whether I have a camera or I don't. And I think now I'm actually picking up my camera less and less. But when I do, I'm I'm more and more excited to do it, even though I'm still doing the same morning routine. And typically what that means is the day before, if I'm at home, I'm I'm always looking at the swell and I'm always looking at the charts. And even anytime we do, you know, I don't do a ton of podcasts, but podcasts like this or you know, a, a work meeting, I'm I'm looking at the forecast, trying to like judge tides and judge <laughs> weather. So even if we do have a meeting, I'm I'm basing it where I still have my ocean time. Like it's all based around the yeah. ocean. And the night before I'll 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 be looking at the swell, I'll be looking at the buoys. I'm like, okay, it's gonna be really fun in the morning. And my alarm's usually somewhere between four and five. Wake up, stretch while I'm stretching, the coffee's being made. Um, if I forget to grind the beans the night before, that usually means I have to like re- <laughs> resolve the instant coffee so I don't make wake my wife up. And my wife's like up early. She's up at 5.30. Yeah. So, But still 4.30 is the difference. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. She yelled at me the other day, you set the alarms in the fours again? I was like, yeah. <laughs> and then you know you've been doing it too much when you wake up before the alarm, but I just, yeah. I love it. Yeah. So I'll wake up, stretch, have coffee. If I'm going to make images, lately I've been super inspired. I've been playing with this new camera that takes these you know, beautiful images and it's kind of like re-inspired me to shoot. And I'm not much of a gear gear guy, but this one, for whatever reason, like when I get the images back, I'm like, ooh, this is exciting. And um, that was a new, that's a new camera? Yeah. Guy, what is it? It's Just... a, it's a Fuji camera. It's called the a GFX 100S. Okay. So it's a, it's a medium format digital camera. So the sensor is about three times the size of a traditional DSLR. And it's a 103 megapixel, but Fuji used the, used the cinema glass on the lensing. So the quality of the glass is like, I've, I haven't seen optics wow. like this to be used in the water before. So when you do get an image, it, it yeah. feels kind of nice. Yeah. It, but even then, it's like I've been shooting at sunrise since I was 15 years old and we were shooting on film and to be able to see the same sunrise essentially 20 something years later with this, this new format, it, it's made it exciting for me. But yeah, well, I'll usually jump in the water if I'm going to shoot. I'll shoot right at sunrise, either if we're shooting action or if I'm shooting. Um, lately, it's been more so just seascapes and empty waves while I'm at home and come in, make a coffee, go for a surf. And then usually that's usually when I'll start my day of computer and editing and, and production for different shoots. And yeah, but when it's, if you're just on like a full surf dog trip, <laughs> it's it's as much time as you can in the water. Yeah. 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 But I find by like, by not always bringing a camera out, even during those magical lighting moments, it makes you anxious. Like, like you want to have a camera. And so you, you remember what you see. Cause you, when you have a camera, you're pretty um, singularly focused. You're so concerned about what lens you have and, and the, the settings and the exposure and make sure the housing doesn't leak. And you're kind of like thinking of all these different elements opposed to just when you're swimming in the ocean with no camera, but you're, you're a much better observer without the camera. Yeah. And then you do enough observing, the next time you do bring a camera, you can take that to whatever it is that, that you're capturing. Yeah. I felt the same way over the last couple of years, quite honestly, because I, I had you know not as many years or uh, far-flung locations, <laughs> but certainly around here of, kind of seven years straight of shooting 
sunrise and sunset every day. And the last couple of years, I don't know if it was the pandemic or what, but it was, I backed off quite a bit. And then, but then came at it with fresh eyes and also just came at it with no camera, you know, a lot more and just going, you know, it's perfectly fine to be camping in the Sierras right now with no camera and we're just hanging out with friends and observing all the beauty around. But, but then now that when I am picking up the camera, it's much more intentional. Like the conditions are firing me up or the, you know, it's the right group of people going on a mission or whatever, or yeah, I want that sunrise. Yeah, I don't know what it is, but I, I've been kind of in the same mode, but I've been reignited looking at all your photos and prep for this. <laughs> oh, <laughs> Thanks thank for the inspo. Yeah, yeah, it goes through phases. Like this year, I probably went outside of like making photos for work. I probably went two months without putting a camera in a water housing, which for me is is a pretty long time, yeah. especially when a lot of my, my imagery is is water photography. But I feel like you can take a lot of value from, like you said, going out to the desert, going to the mountains. Lately, I've been really into running. That's kind of been my the thing I've been into the most. And yeah. It started when when the waves weren't very good this winter, and I needed motivation to get in the water. So I'd go down to the beach, and it'd be south wind, and you know the surf wouldn't be good. And I'd go for a run, get sweaty, and jump in the water in my board shorts, even if it was in the middle of winter. And you come out of there feeling pretty, pretty revitalized and pretty energetic, yeah. and that that was my motivation to go to the beach. Yeah. I'm glad you mentioned that. I want to come back to that. So I have an experience. I call it kind of like the triple dipping of nature connection with water photography that I didn't have before I started picking up cameras just from surfing alone that I think is different. One is you get the whole experience of being in the water and how that feels, right? Just the benefit of being in the ocean. You feel stoked for hours after that. But then you, when you come home and you start to review images and see the shots you got, and kind of like you were saying too, you see them in a new light, right? Because you're in a different focus mode when you're, as a person, <laughs> when you're in the water, you see different things. But you, you get it stoked again looking at the images, hopefully. But then then you share the images with people, you know, whether that's on social or through text or what, whatever your means of sharing, and you see how stoked they get. So it's like this huge, it's this like compounding dopamine <laughs> hit that is different than surfing, I think. I don't know if that rings true for you. Yeah, I I don't know. I, I think part of the reason why I was so attracted to photography early on was like, I don't know what it is. I probably just have really bad short-term memory. <laughs> and so, like, have you ever ridden a wave where you kick out of the wave and you know it was a good one, but you don't really know what happened? Photography is kind of like that. You can You almost don't even know what you have until, until you come back in and, and review the images. And for me, that when I first started, that time between finishing a roll of film and looking out on a light box could be anywhere from a couple hours to a couple of days to a couple of weeks if you're if you're traveling. And that kind of purgatory time, that middle time, was nerve wracking, exciting, exhausting, and it you would almost like obsess over what could be there or what might not be there. And I think it now everything is so immediate and so. And so sudden that a lot of that gets taken away. And it's almost like if you go out and you make a really nice image, it feels really good. But now I'm almost like, well, it's supposed to look good because we have all the tools that have <laughs> made it a lot easier to do that. And I'm not saying that it's easy, yeah. but we're giving ourselves the best opportunity to do that. So like sometimes just as like a, as a workaround or as a, as a practice, I'll go out and I'll, I'll set the camera on, on one frame. And I'll just go out and try to practice just shooting one frame instead of a sequence. Like now the modern cameras are so fast, they can do 20 frames a second. 
mm. at 50 megapixels and like something's going to look pretty good at with those odds. So now I'll, I like to go out and I'll try and just shoot one photo on a wave or um, really try to experiment with a, a, a slower shutter or try to challenge myself to make more mistakes than, than great images. But when, but cause you learn from those mistakes and it'd be really easy to, to have my whole career be a thousandth of a second and keep everything sharp. But I, I feel like I would never grow that way. And yeah. so when I'm home, I almost use that, the, these early morning empty wave sessions as like as practice yeah. and I can apply those to either commercial shoots or editorial shoots, or just try to bring something new to, to the athletes I work with, to the surfers I work with. And, and sometimes they're into it and sometimes they, we just need to get a, a photo with the right board shorts on and, yeah. and that's all we need. Yeah. And so I constantly want to like evolve my craft and, and become a better photographer, whether or not every image is, is progressing. Yeah. I have a lot of respect for that. I, I mean, for one, it keeps it interesting, but then you grow as a photographer and you have such a good local lab or we do here. <laughs> I kind of view it that way at home too. It's like, this is the place to just screw around and try different things, especially if you have a go-to spot. Like I know for you, you, you have a beautiful local, <laughs> local zone there. It's just a great place to experiment. It's almost like a natural studio right there. <laughs> yeah. That, there's a wave, the, the way that that you're referring to, we call it the studio, actually. It's really <laughs> funny. And it's where I've probably shot like 95% of my surf photos here. Yeah. And I've shot shortboard covers, longboard covers, empty wave, billboards. We've like, we've literally shot so much there. And I bring longboarders there and they're like, why are we here? And I'm like, just give me like 30 minutes. We'll get it. <laughs> you can go back to Swami's. It'll be great. It's not going anywhere. And it drives them crazy. And even like, I lived in Santa Barbara when I went to school and Rincon's the main spot yeah, up there. Yeah. And I was battling guys because up in Santa Barbara, they, they love to wait for the, the midday low tide and surf the evening mm, session. Mm. But coming from San Diego, everything's a morning thing. And so I'd wake the guys up super early and we'd go surf the the backside of Rincon, which yeah. is just a big closeout. And they're like, one, we're going left, which is really weird. And like Rincon's perfect over here. And like, why are we standing up in these big tubes over here? And <laughs> we'd shoot one roll of film, put the camera in the car and go surfing. And then we'd get the film back and be like, oh, okay. I, I understand that, you know, you had a vision for why we were shooting yeah. here. And it's not all the time. And it's something that, you know, I'm not going to get like the world's best surfers to go yeah. pull into closeouts at six in the morning, but yeah. it's certainly fun to, as a way to, to learn your, learn your craft and, uh, and experiment. And yeah, I, I was always like really shy growing up. So I think the camera was a way to, to communicate. Awesome. Let's shift gears a little bit. You've been to, uh, so many insanely beautiful <laughs> slices of nature in the world. What comes to mind for you as kind of the most awe-inspiring, vivid nature where you've shot in the water? Or maybe it was from land, whatever. I'm trying to think. As far as Without uh, exp exposing any place that you don't want to. <laughs> no, I, I mean, I guess <laughs> in if, general. I, if I had to choose a place that was like my absolute favorite, drop everything, I'm going to go and, and make pictures. I love photographing uh, Chopu, Tahiti. I think that's probably my favorite wave to photograph. I think it's such a diverse wave. I love making underwater images and the water there is, is really clear. So anytime I have the opportunity to go there, it's pretty rare to say no to a trip there. 
the people are, are beautiful and friendly and kind. I just love the clear water. It, it's a relatively short wave. So photographically, it gives you a lot of opportunities to make imagery. Whereas some waves are really long, like even cloud break, for example, is an amazing wave to surf. But photographically, it's a challenge because it's such a big playing field. And you can stay on the boat and capture everything and you can get some great boat images, but I'd rather be in the water in Fiji. Like people fly all over the world to go swim in the waters of Fiji. I don't want to fly all the way to Fiji and sit on a boat. I'd rather be in the water. But then in doing so, it's such a large playing field that that you can miss quite a bit. But then at the same time, like we're in Del Mar at the moment and the beach where I first learned how to surf, which was Torrey Pines, is one of the most gorgeous beaches in all of Southern California, in my opinion. And I actually two years ago did a photo essay on on Torrey Pines and spent 30 days photographing it every day and came out with a body of work that was kind of taking all of the experiences that I had from all the, all the, the different beaches and countries I'd been to over the world and applying that knowledge to the way I first learned how to surf at. And it was a really fun exercise to do that because I was able to experiment without a whole lot of um, consequence of being able to take the, you know, kind of the tools I learned from traveling all over and, and trying to make my home look exotic. And it was really fun. Yeah. And it was close to home. Um, I always joke, my wife and I always joke, she's like, you've gotten, you know, comfortable. I'm like, I wouldn't say comfortable, but our, our scope of the world is, has gone from a couple of years ago, we were locked down where we could barely leave the house. And, you know, the year before that, I was like bouncing all over the world, flying hundreds of thousands of miles every year. So I love to either like when I'm home, keep keep the bubble really small or go halfway around the world and go chase waves. But I'm now more than ever, I'm more excited to take the the energy I would take to a shoot in Tahiti or Fiji and apply that to my home in San Diego. And it's fun to see it in a different light. Yeah. Also, Torrey Pines is probably one of the most epic sunrise spots <laughs> Yeah, in the morning because the way the sun comes through that valley and it's unobstructed, it's fall mornings out there can be pretty magical. What what time of year did you do that? That was in January. It was January. Yeah, winter. So and I'm it was sure cold. it was great. Yeah, I bet. It was really cold. Also brought to mind, uh, I just recently watched this documentary, Path of the Panther, which is a Nat Geo thing by, and it follows a photographer, Carlton Ward. I wasn't familiar with his work before, but he's doing conservation work with the Florida Panthers and trying to make sure they have enough um, wildlife corridor and not go extinct, basically. But he was talking about some shoots that he did in the Everglades where some of the locals uh, that live there thought the photos were from Africa. So to, to make his home, his home lab, essentially, or studio, look so exotic, exactly what you're talking about. That's so cool. I have a friend of mine who's a photographer. He photographs a lot of cycling. And we both like really nerd out on shadows. So in his photos, he's always capturing a lot of shadows. And one of the things that drew me to Torrey Pines is the way that the sun rises, there's, a, there's an edge of a shadow that goes over the south end of the, of the cliff. And you can essentially follow the very first ray of light in the middle of the valley. Mm. And then as you swim south, as the sun begins to come up, you can be right on the edge of the shadow and the sun. And so by using a long lens, you expose for the light and then half the wave will be lit. And then the other half is, is in shadow. And there's such an extreme contrast of brightness and darkness. You get these, it looks like you're in a studio. And that, that's been really fun to kind of play around with. And so just by 
not to sound cliche, but by slowing down and observing, you start noticing nuances to the beaches that that you thought you were familiar with, but you know you knew nothing about. And then I love that feeling of getting out of the water at seven in the morning and you've already been in for an hour, hour and a half. And like you feel so ahead of the day. Like you you feel like you're you're in a proactive state of mind. You're not necessarily in a reactive like I wake up every morning anticipating what the sunlight might be doing, whether I'm going to go for a run or bike ride, a surf, yeah. take take pictures. And I think that's a pretty healthy state to be. And, you know, we have friends that, in my opinion, live more of a reactive lifestyle where they wake up and they go, oh, it's sunny. I had no idea. And then I feel like they're always playing a little bit of catch up. But then they might argue that, you know, they love the nightlife and and like we're missing out on a whole part of the day that, you know, yeah. uh, it's pretty rare that that we're out that late yeah it does feel good when you get out of the water and you've already yeah shot a bunch of images gotten in the ocean and it's whatever 7 45 and yeah. you feel like you've already accomplished so much it's like, great okay i have to for my photography friends do a little bit of photo nerd questions at least a little bit i don't want to go too far down this rabbit hole because i want to get into some other things related to nature connection but I want to understand your go-to water setup is the sort of simple question, but to ask it in a way <laughs> that hopefully doesn't get you into one of the like, well, it depends on this and that. Cause I know we're as yeah. photographers, well, it depends on the light and this and that. But so I'm going to try to ask this question and if it sucks, we can move on. But if you, let, let's say you were going to be dropped off somewhere in the water and someone was going to hand you a housing and it had whatever body and lens in settings what body would you hope it would have in the housing what lens and what would the settings be as like a go-to knowing you could change it after that but if they're going to hand it to you drop you in the water go what do you hope the setup is all right this is where it gets confused <laughs> this is where it gets confusing and this is where we um we just had like the preface before the question uh, it, de it depends what I'm shooting. If I'm shooting empty waves or if I'm shooting surf action, if I'm purely yeah. shooting empty waves and seascapes, which is what yeah. I've really been focusing on in the water for the last year or so, um, I would use a, a Fuji GFX 100S with a 23 millimeter lens, uh, an Aquatech housing and a big dome port. And I would just shoot underwater images. That's like my go-to, my favorite setup. Realistically, it's it's a little bit slower for shooting action. It's not so much heavier, but it's the battery life's a little bit shorter. But when you do capture those images, they're fantastic. If I'm shooting surf action and the waves are big and I'm swimming in, in Fiji, I would do a Canon R5 or a 1DX Mark II with a 50 millimeter 1.2 and a, an Aquatech housing. And it's pretty safe that I would be able to capture something pr pretty cool with that. Camera lens dependent. I ultimately the best camera and the best lens you have is the one in your hand at that moment. And there's been plenty of times where I've been in the water and I was like, I wish I had something else. And you spend more time fiddling around trying to figure out what to use than actually just being in the water and being present. I love using a fisheye if I'm working with a subject that's collaborating with me and we both know that the conditions are good for it. And it's somewhat safe to be using that lens. In other words, you trust the surfer really well. Yeah. Because <laughs> you got to get close, right? And, you know, that that kind of goes back to like how I was raised shooting photos. I was never one to show up to the beach and hope people were there. I always brought my own team. I brought my own surfers. I brought my own talent. And so it was always, you know, we'd either show up in the same car or me at the same time, take pictures, go surf together, 
you know, grab burrito, get coffee, whatever it is afterwards. And, and usually I would kind of document that process too, but some photographers show up at the beach, they go, oh, no way, that person's out. And they grab their camera real quick and they swim out. I've never been that way. Maybe I'm just too excited about surfing that I value my time too much. And if someone's not going to call you back to go shoot, then you're not going to shoot with them. You're going to go do your thing. If I'm on a trip or if I'm working on a project where we're shooting something specific, I let the conditions dictate it. And I try not to let the gear get in the way. I went through an entire year where the only lens I shot, the only lenses I shot in the water were a fisheye, a 35 millimeter and an 85 millimeter. And the reason I did that was because the 35 millimeter lens and the 85 millimeter lens fit in the same port. So I could go to the beach with three lenses and two ports. And I knew between those three things, I could shoot everything. Yeah. And looking back, I should probably do that more often. Say those three lenses again. So fisheye. Fisheye, a 35 millimeter. 35. And an 85 millimeter. 85, yeah, those are great. And that, that was a great. Yeah. Yeah, that was like 2014. Do you tend to lean toward prime lenses as your favorites? Is is the fisheye you're shooting on a prime or is it like an 8 to 15 or it's something? It's an 8 to 15 yeah. millimeter. And I think that's just because when I bought it, that was the fisheye that, yeah. that, that was available. I still have the original one, that 15 millimeter 2.8, but I haven't used it. I haven't used it in a, in a long time. But uh, yeah, I, I try not to overthink the gear too much. I think zooms are awesome in the water. I'm not going to say my best work's been done with primes because I've, I've had some nice work with yeah. zooms, but I'll say my best work has always come from being in the right place with good conditions. Yeah. The gear was secondary. I don't think I've ever shown someone an image and they go, that photo would have been so much better if you were at 6.3 instead of 5.6 or, yeah. <laughs> you know, the, the, that photo would have been fantastic if you had a 20, 128 gig card instead of a yeah. 32. Like, yeah. I, I don't think that's ever been a factor in, yeah. in my work personally. I think it's, yeah. it's had more to do with being at the, the right place at the right time and moving your body to, to being where you need to be. Yeah. I love that. I, d I do love the primes in the water too. When I look at the images after, I go, oh, it's so sharp. I love it. But so, there's so many other factors involved. And, and I watch a number of my photographer friends. I won't name any. But just I feel like the chase of the sharpest, sharpest, sharpest always is such a – it just leaves so many other important factors out. Like it's just not the most important thing when people – when I talk to people about that, I always bring up um, the Clash London Calling record. Like it's like this totally blown out shot. It's gritty or grainy and not even in focus of the, it's not Joe Strummer, it's the bassist. I forget the bassist name, but he's about to slam his guitar. But that tells a freaking epic story <laughs> in that yeah. one shot. Yeah, it, it goes back to, to the decisive moment. It, yeah. it, it goes back to creating an image that evokes an emotion. And I'm not going to say there's nothing worse, but there's a lot of technically perfect images that make you feel nothing. Yeah. And I think if you look at the history of, of photography, even just the history of surf photography, a lot of a lot of the photographers, at least who who I've looked up to, were willing to take risks and they were willing to challenge themselves and they were willing to actually like just like a surfer goes out and practices their cutbacks or practices their airs or tries to get the best tube they can, I think a, a great photographer is constantly trying to evolve their craft and they're taking inspiration from other forms of photography. Like I always loved looking up to rock and roll photographers. That was a huge inspiration for yeah. me. And then going into the surf world, 
uh, guys like Steve Sherman, for example, who who we see at the beach all the time. His huge inspiration was rock and roll photography, guys like Danny Clinch. And when I was younger, we'd go to the Morrison Hotel down in La Jolla and look at the rock and roll photography and go, wow, like this isn't what you see in the magazines, but it's so cool. Why aren't people using this very grainy film and, and shooting surfing? And there are people that that used to do it and that do do it now. And I think they're the ones that tend to stick out or at least have more of an aesthetic because it's hard to, I think our individual experiences are what, are what dictate why we frame images a certain way, why we choose to shoot it the way that we do. And it's our inner voice, which then translates into, into the imagery. Yeah. And like, if someone's shy and, and they feel very like, they don't want to be very present in the image, everything might be really pulled back and quiet and, and subtle and, and humble and, and cool. And, and, and that's their style. And then other people are very bold in your face and bright and poppy and, and, yeah. and their images kind of um, depict that. And so I think our images are a reflection of our, almost like our, our, our inner ethos or our, our inner ego in a way. The rock and roll thing makes sense in a way that didn't when I was looking at images before this, because now that you said that, I'm thinking some of the early morning stuff from behind the wave with Rob and that morning light, the kind of blue light with the yellow coming in and his silhouette. I mean, those feel like a guitarist on a stage in a way, you know, like if you're shooting cool lighting in the belly up at night <laughs> yeah. or some concert venue, it, it, it has that feel. And I wouldn't have made that connection if you wouldn't have said it, but it makes total sense. Yeah. And it's also about shape and creating something that that's aesthetically pleasing. And as bad as it sounds, at least a lot of the surfers that we photograph are, they're sponsored and they get paid to endorse a certain t-shirt or pair of board shorts or whatever it might be. And I spend the vast majority of my surf photography career as an editorial photographer. And if I wasn't doing a commercial campaign for whatever company, why do I need to highlight their product? I'm editorial. I can do whatever I want. Yeah. It's different if I'm photographing a catalog and I need to show the texture of the shorts and I need to show the colorways and I need to show the product, which we do do that. But I've always just tried to capture the feeling of surfing. And certain people, like you said, like Rob, they they tend to be identifiable whether you see their face or not. And I was just going through a, a folder of images of, of Rob the other day. And, and I think, yeah, 90% of the images we've made together are backlit. And I think call that a style or a personal preference, but there's definitely a uh, a leaning or an homage to that kind of light when, when we work together because he does make such a beautiful silhouette. I want to highlight that. And I see a lot of photos of Rob that are shot in midday light and he's ripping and he looks <laughs> so stylish, but that's not the way I see him. I'd rather be surfing with him during that light. Like there, it was funny, a couple of years ago, we shot this image that He's standing in a really big tube is during a really big winter swell and he's wearing a hood. And if magazines were around, I was, I was like, well, that's a borderline a cover type photo. It's right early morning sunlight. And but I'm like, man, it's Rob. People want to see, a, they want to see the hair. <laughs> I'm like, you got to take the hood off. Like, you know, these moments, these mornings are rare. And it was so cold that morning. I remember the air was in the thirties and he was wearing a hood. And it's hard for me to say, hey man, you shouldn't wear a hood as I'm in a six mil with a hood and booties swimming around but I understand it. And so it's trying to give ourselves, or we know it's it's more productive for us to, to jam down to Mexico for a couple a couple days where it's warm and go get some great tube shots and not, not hide the hair. 
<laughs> and he knows it too. And so like this yeah. winter was a really cold winter and we didn't shoot photos once. We surfed the whole time, which was funny because we'd run by and there'd be a bunch of people shooting and we're like, we're going surfing. This is awesome. Good for you, man. Yeah. As a fellow photog, I just love that conversation and I hope you did too. The through line for me was how Todd's approach to creating images is an act of co-creation with both the ocean and the surfers he works with. And the penny really dropped when I learned that Todd was pulling in inspiration from rock and roll photography. I think it's why there's so much intimacy and emotion in Todd's images. Beyond the photography, Todd dropped a ton of nature junkie wisdom. Here are a few gems that I noticed in part one of our convo. One, nature junkies crave freedom. Some find it as kids like Todd did, and some find it later in life but we feel most alive when the horizon is open, vast, and filled with mystery. Two, know your magical time of day. Most nature junkies are keenly aware of the time of day where they feel most switched on and animated in life. It doesn't matter if it's morning, that happens to be Todd's happy place, midday, evening, or somewhere else in the 24-hour cycle. They make sure to seek out and protect that time to do their thing because it serves as a force field for whatever gets thrown their way in life and it works well. Three, notice the small things. For photographers like Todd, it's noticing how light and color may bounce around different parts of the world. Research out of the UK shows that noticing good things in nature can help deepen our connection with nature, which in turn helps us feel more stoked. Lastly, here's a little reminder to listen to part two of our conversation. This is Todd recounting how his book and the film Proximity came together with filmmaker Taylor Steele over a hot cup of coffee. Check it out. We've always operated like, if we really believe in something, if it keeps us up at night, if something has to be made, we'll find a way to get it financed, we'll find a way to get it made. So over that cup of coffee, we came up with the concept, we wrote down a list of surfers, we wrote down a list of locations, and maybe... 45 minutes into the cup of coffee, we're like, let's see if this is on something. So we call Kelly and he never answers his phone. He answers his phone. We're like, hey, we have this idea. What do you think? He's like, I'm in. And we're like, oh, I think we might have something here. We call Rob. Rob, we have this idea. Kelly's in. What do you think? I'm in. And we're like, okay. Kelly's in. Rob's in. They both answered their phone. Neither of them ever answer their phones. Like, it's on. As always, thanks for tuning in to Nature Junkie Radio. I invite you to head over to our website at naturejunkielife.com for show notes, to learn more about nature connection, and to sign up for our newsletter. And one last thing, please share how you microdose nature so I can share it with everyone in a future episode of the podcast. It's simple. Just get out your phone, record a voice memo for about 30 seconds to a minute, tell me your first name, where you're from, Describe how you microdose nature and importantly, how does it make you feel? Just email that voice memo to hello at naturejunkielife.com. That's hello at naturejunkielife.com. And that's all it takes. Thanks so much in advance. And as always, thanks for listening to Nature Junkie Radio.
microdose nature and replenish your stoke.